welcome to the Three Down Nation podcast. I'm John Hodge, joined by J.C. Abbott. Today, we're discussing Saskatchewan Rough Riders head coach Craig Dickinson saying that Calgary and Edmonton had an advantage starting training camp while everyone else was on strike. The Blue Bombers signing first-round pick Liam Dobson. Kenny Lawler saying Edmonton is more scenic than Winnipeg. The Elks releasing former Ohio State quarterback Cardell Jones. And the Red Blacks signing Canadian receiver Tavon Smith. But first, JC, we have a huge, unbelievably cataclysmic mess going on with the CFL's shockingly ongoing labor dispute. The CFL and the CFLPA agreed to a tentative collective bargaining agreement last week that would have brought the, up to seven years of labor peace to the league. The players voted it down on Monday, leading the league to make a new offer addressing the ratio and including a ratification bonus. CFL commissioner Randy Ambrosi has since spoken to Post Media, indicating that the league would shut down training camps and stop housing and feeding players, which they promised to do earlier, if this new offer is not accepted before a TSN reported deadline of Thursday at midnight Eastern. What are your thoughts on this huge, massive mess? Mess does not even begin to describe it, Hodge, and there's other words I would use, but <laughs> we're going to keep this family friendly here. It's an incredible situation, unprecedented in the CFL. And, and now I've been critical of the league throughout this process, and I believe rightfully, rightfully so. I, I still remain critical of how they've handled a lot of this. But right now, I am rather upset with the player membership base, not the executive branch that negotiated the initial proposal. I thought they handled much of this masterfully. I thought they got a fantastic deal for the players on the table, but the membership base that voted this down, I think has made a catastrophic mistake, a miscalculation of epic proportions. Now we've heard a number of different reasons why this was voted down. I think the ratio issue was a part of it that angered a lot of prominent CFLPA Canadians. Uh, you heard the comments from the likes of David Mackey in BC and, and Chris Ackie in Montreal speaking out against these ratio changes that would have seen three veteran Americans be able to sub in for Canadian starters for up to 49% of the plays in a game. But I, quite frankly, as one of the most fervent defenders of the ratio you'll find, didn't think that rule change would have much of an effect. I thought it was a toothless rule. Now what you're faced with on the table is a potential reduction of one ratio spot, one Canadian starter completely eliminated. And what that tells me, if this passes, and if there's more desire for this deal, is this was mostly about money. For the Canadian players who are worried that a rotational role would reduce their incentives in their contract and, and see some dollars shaved off the top. And for American players who you know didn't buy the revenue sharing long term and wanted a short term paycheck in terms of this ratification bonus. To me, that's not something I can get behind. I can get behind a moral stance. I can get behind getting the guys who have the least more. Right now, this is not the sense I get from the player side, and I'm having an awful hard time supporting them. 
Let, and we'll, we'll get into the ratio because I know that that is a hot button issue for a lot of people, us included. But I, I think we just need to start out by talking about the unbelievable disconnect that evidently exists between the CFLPA bargaining committee and the membership. I mean, my understanding of this process is it goes back months and months and months at the tail end. Again, my, if my recollection serves correct, my understanding was towards the end of the 2021 season, the PA pulled its membership to say, Hey, what are you looking for in a new agreement? What are your priorities? There was a list made and the PA bargaining committee took that list formulated its strategy for bargaining and hit on all of those top issues. Obviously, revenue sharing was a big one, right? Uh, we, we saw them get a great revenue sharing deal, though I later learned after the initial reporting that the revenue sharing model apparently only kicks in partway through of the tentative deal that was voted down by the players, right? They got a lot of these things done, partially guaranteed contracts for veterans, extended health and safety measures, right? These are all things the CFLPA has been dying for for decades. They've never got offered. Finally, they got it offered. And for players to show up at the end of all this and say, but wait, where's the ratification bonus? Like, it's like going and buying a house and you've got the paperwork done. And then you say, oh, wait a minute. Well, just by the way, where's the garage? And your realtor is like, uh, this house never had a garage. And it's like, whoa, whoa, wait. I, I know we've got all the paperwork done, but we're going back to square one. I'm not buying a house without a garage. It's like th this was not on the bargaining committee's list. And I'm not blaming the bargaining committee or the players solely. All I'm pointing out is there is a huge, obvious divide and disconnect between those two groups. And it is so essential in the bargaining process for all of the players to be on the same page. And I appreciate that CFLPA is a diverse group made of Americans, Canadians, you got globals in there, you have veterans, you got younger players, right? And they all have their own wants and needs. But as a collective, they have to find a way to get on the same page. It looked like they did when we had a tentative agreement. Obviously, we were wrong. They were not on the same page. And that is why we are stuck one week after recording our last podcast with still no CBA in place. Just two days before the first preseason game is set to get underway. In past negotiations, I've been accused of being anti-player because I've been critical at times of the priorities that the CFLPA leadership has put forward in negotiations, mainly the fact that they've sometimes prioritized short-term monetary advantage over long-term stability, injury protections, things like that. The things that I think are truly important for the overall health of the player base. This time around, I thought they had all their ducks in a row. They were coming about it from the right angle. They were playing their leverage perfectly, and they had the right priorities. But clearly, those were not the same priorities that the rest of the player base had because by the sounds of it, they're willing to you know make concessions on things like the ratio in exchange for what essentially will just be a $2,000 check per player. And to me, that just doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Well, and, and let's also not forget a lot of this money that is being used to create this million dollar ratification bonus is being taken from the cap in 2028 later on down the line. So this is essentially players saying, well, you know, if you go back to previous CBAs, 
players took deals that were not good in the long term, but at least they got a little ratification bonus money. And we, now that we have the opportunity to create a long-term fruitful CBA for players who, who, you know, let's be honest, the vast majority of players who are currently playing in the CFL will not still be in the CFL six years from now. They're saying, well, instead of them benefiting, what if we got a little more cut? What if we got a little more piece of the pie? And I get it. Players have not had a steady paycheck for a long time, right? They had a pandemic shortened season in 2021, fewer games and salaries were slashed, right? With teams spending to the floor instead of the ceiling 2020, they didn't get any game checks. They got a little bit of help from, from what I understand with cues, uh, the, the wage subsidy that was available at that point of the pandemic. But I, so I, I appreciate that players need that money, but $2,000 is not let's be honest, going to make or break anybody's financial year when someone is only a couple of weeks away from their week one paycheck, right? The regular season is set to get underway in essentially two weeks, right? They've got games coming and game checks coming. So Sammy, I agree. It's disappointing. And, and if the ratification, here's the other thing, I'm not going to tell players what they should or shouldn't prioritize, but if the ratification bonus was that important, that was something that needed to be made clear to the bargaining committee because if the number one priority was a big fat ratification bonus, I'm sure the bargaining committee would have gone about this completely differently. And it was that disconnect between the union and its leadership that caused this deal to fall through. Yeah, just an absolutely horrific situation all around. I feel for that bargaining committee because they put in some incredibly long hours to try and hammer it out this deal, you know, going into overtime, they went on the first strike in 48 years to try and get the best deal possible for the membership. And then to have this be outright rejected. And the other thing we should note, there are or whispers around here that 30 to 35% of the membership did not even bother to vote on this deal. Ridiculous. That is absolutely insane to me. This is the most important thing you'll have to do in your in your career is vote on this seven-year deal and to not even show and they don't have to show up anywhere it's an online ballot like to not even open your phone to cast to, to do two clicks and cast your ballot is absolutely abhorrent on the part of the player base well and and here's the other thing we got to keep in mind Rookie players in camps across the country do not get a vote. You only get a vote if you have a game experience, if you've essentially paid your union dues, which I think is appropriate. But that means this 30% number or 35% number, Simone Lawrence was the one who first tweeted that 30% number. And I trust his word because he's been in this league for a decade and he's going to the Hall of Fame after he retires. We're just talking about the veteran players here. Like it's approximate, it's believed it's about 400 players who are veterans in this league, right? Of those 400 veterans, not the rookies, not guys who, you know, were at, you know, name it, Georgia Tech or, or Clemson or Washington State last year who said, oh, okay, I'll try the CFL and don't know anything about it and are in their first camp. That's not the situation. We're talking about players who have suited up for games before in this league and 30% of them couldn't be bothered to vote. I agree. That's a huge slap in the face to the bargaining committee. And let's talk about the league for a moment. They promised that in the event of a work stoppage, that they would house and feed players. They did that for the CFL's first, as you mentioned, strike in 48 years. 
Good stuff, right? A lot of employers would not do that for their unions if they were on strike. Very cool. I thought that was great. It showed good faith and that the league was actually meaning what they said when they said, we are trying to, and we've heard Randy Ambrosi say it about a million times, a partnership with the players and, and create a, uh, what is the word he keeps using? A transformational agreement, a transformational CBA that will, that will allow the CFL, right? He said it probably a hundred times over the last month. Well, all of a sudden they're pulling that, right? How can you say that you want to be partners with the CFL and they've been criticized heavily for it on social media as of Wednesday morning? How can you say you want to be partners with the players if at this point you've essentially said, hey, here's our final offer, accept it, or we're kicking you out. That is not something that a partner does. So I think that there is blood on everybody's hands in this situation. It is a mess. And trust me, nothing will give me more happiness than to sit here and say, oh, the deal's done. Everybody, we get to worry about football. Sadly, that's not the case. We have more labor dispute. Now, do I think this is going to get done? Yes, I do. I don't think we're going to miss preseason games. I think this deal will get done because at the end of the day, the league does not want to shut down camps and lose the revenue that accompanies those preseason and regular season games. However, what we were hoping for right after this unbelievable mess was was harmony right we could just focus on football we can't yet we're still focused in this labor dispute it's not what anybody wanted but it's what we got jc and i i fully appreciate the frustration of fans because at the end of the day they're the biggest losers in all of this is the fans who just want to see their favorite players and their favorite teams on the field shortly Mm -hmm. and we should move on from this topic it's certainly not something that I want to talk about any more than I already have. I am sick and tired of it, but it is worth just diving in a little bit on the ratio implications here because that matters to both of us and it matters to the people listening. And to be frank, I think this is a worse deal on the table for Canadians than the one that was rejected. This reduction from seven Canadian starters to six Canadian starters and one naturalized American in the, the previous deal with the 49%, the three players who could sub in for 49% of the players, based on the reporting, these were not part of the ratio overall. These were just additional American players that could sub in for starters. And based on the situation and how rosters are constructed, constructed I could not see a single team for the duration of an 18-game season having A, three veteran American backups on their roster in a position where they could rotate in and B ever getting those players up to 49%. It was a toothless rule. In my opinion, that was going to do very little. It was going to help, you know, fringe guys stick around for an extra year. Maybe they would help rotational pass rushers at the end of their career. Like Sean lemon stick on a roster so they could sub in for Isaac Agiemi Berglund in, in the fourth quarter, you know, That was not a rule that I had a lot of issue with. What I do have an issue with is removing a Canadian job entirely. And I'll hear some people say, oh, well, we've got to uh, reward these American veterans for sticking around. I fundamentally agree with you on that. I want to see these players rewarded. But having one naturalized Canadian spot does absolutely nothing in that regard. It is the most meaningless action in regards to helping American veterans because there are five or six players on every single roster who could count as that naturalized Canadian. 
only one is going to get it. And because the supply so outweighs the demand, that player's not going to see any financial benefits or added stability. He's infinitely replaceable. He's just one guy that they can take a Canadian starter off the field, slap a label on a guy who's going to start for them regardless, and then pull some rookie American who was the fourth best receiver at Ohio State and stick him on the field because they think he's better than someone from Wilfred Laurier. And to me, that doesn't help anyone. I don't think it upgrades the quality of play in the CFL. I don't think it helps American veterans. I don't think it helps Canadians. It's a bad rule all around. And it's a lot worse in my mind than the previous offer on the table. I agree with that. And I've talked to people who really did not like the 49 percent rule just from a logistical perspective because it would have been a nightmare to track i don't know what type of algorithm teams and officials would have had to create to figure that stuff out that's above my pay grade i was never good at math but the thing i did like about it jc and you mentioned it with the ratio and the roster uh compilation you've got 16 american starters on each roster right 24 starters total Quarterbacks don't count as Canadian or American. So you got seven Canadians, one quarterback. That leaves 16, right? 16 of your 24 starters are already American. There's only 20 American roster spots total. So that means you've got four backups. Lots of teams use those spots on a kicker or a a kick return specialist who they don't want to use on offense, right? And if you've only got four backup spots, let's also remember for a player to count as a, a nationalized American, they have to have three years of experience on your team or five in the CFL. How many how many teams have backup players like that? The answer is next to none, right? Teams start their veterans. They have their, their young guys serve as the backups, right? They only have four American backups to start with. They use those spots on young guys generally. So I agree. At the worst case, I think you'd have teams using two or three of those spots, maybe strategically and maybe late in the year, right? They bring in a cast off from, from the street or, or who, who, who gets cut by another team. And maybe they rotate a little bit with the Canadian towards the end of the season. But to me, that was a much better solution. I agree than the six and one that is currently being proposed. I think the best person who said it, we should move on. You're absolutely right. But Doug Brown, I think said it right. Canadian football hall of famer, proud Canadian Simon Fraser product who said I'd have more respect for this process if they simply called it for what it is. It's easier to recruit and fine tune American NCAA players than it is to draft and develop Canadians. And it's largely what our predominantly American coaching staff wants. I think he nailed it on the head. This is a guy who's again in the hall of fame and has played on both sides of the border was in the NFL for a few years before coming up to Canada, being a hall of famer. Couldn't have said it better myself, Mr. Brown. Now let's move on. Yeah. When they say roster flexibility, I hear laziness. From potential ratio changes to roster moves that have ratio implications, the Ottawa Red Blacks have signed Canadian receiver Tavon Smith shortly after he was released by the Edmonton Elks last week. Do you think that was a good move, Hodge? I do. And the reason I think this is really noteworthy is the fact that Kwaku Boateng, as Tim Baines reported on on Tuesday, has apparently suffered uh, what could be a season-ending injury to his lower body. From what I understand, Boateng is still undergoing further testing. They don't know exactly what it is, but if if it is a season-ending injury, to me that means it, it's a tear of some kind, whether that's an Achilles or, or some type of, of knee issue. 
Um, and, and to me, this means Ottawa is going to be starting two Canadian receivers. They might have already done that already. They brought in Levine Noel from Toronto in free agency, who I think is one of the most underrated players in the CFL. They brought over Shaq Johnson, the speedster from BC, and they already had Nate Bahar on the roster, who had a bit of a breakout season in 2021. To me, Tavon Smith, who, by the way, former first-round pick, uh, he's a Canadian, so I guess he can't possibly be that good. Oh, wait, he was in the NFL with the Dallas Cowboys. Um, to me, Tavon Smith, actually three different NFL teams he was with. I think he was with Jacksonville, too. I can't remember the other one. But Tavon Smith, I think, is yet to reach his full potential. He had a very good rookie season in 2019, had a down year last year, along with basically, let's be honest, everybody else at Edmonton. So this move does excite me for the Red Blacks. And, and I think it definitely helps their ratio with Kwaku Boateng possibly missing the entire season due to this unfortunate injury. Yes. You talk about the need to design your roster in a way where you can have ratio flexibility and start potentially even more than the seven mandated Canadians, which, by the way, a lot of teams do going back to our previous conversation. Ottawa has done that. They didn't need to start two Canadians receivers, but they designed their offense in a way where they have more than enough talent to do so. Now with Kwaku Boteng going down, you don't have to bring Kenny Onyeka and, and play him at a starting spot that he might not quite be ready for. You can keep him in his rotational backup role and you can stick to Vaughn Smith right into the starting lineup alongside whoever you like, Shaq Johnson, Levi Noel, Nate Bahar, you can rotate them all in. I think those guys are all starting caliber Canadian receivers in this league. Ottawa's in a very good situation here on offense in terms of their Canadian talent. Yeah, Ottawa is definitely generating a bit of a buzz around the league for the work that they've done. We know they're going to be good at the quarterback position because they've got Jeremiah Masoli, but that receiving core is legit. They've built a pretty solid offensive line. Granted, it is a bit of a patchwork unit, bringing free agents from other teams, but they've also shown a strong dedication to rebuilding the core of that offensive line through the draft, going O-line in round one and two. Uh, a few months or a, a few weeks ago in the 2022 CFL draft. And defensively, they've added some really, really talented players as well, including a, a couple of Canadians, uh, one of whom we'll talk about during the three minute drill. So I do think this is a big move for Ottawa. I know Tavon Smith is not a household name, but I think he could be. And I absolutely think this is a, a strong move. And I can understand why Ottawa is generating buzz around the league is possibly the team to beat in the East Division. Yeah, it, it gives me shades of their last uh, Grey Cup win when they added all these free agents, had this massive turnaround. Sean Burke coming in as general manager in Ottawa has changed this team entirely. And I really like their chances to not only compete in the East Division, I think we might be looking at an East Division winner here. It's now time for Hodges Heritage Moment. On this day in 2009, Andrew Green announced his retirement from the CFL. The Jamaican-born, Pickering-raised offensive lineman became one of the highest-selected Canadian players in NFL draft history when the Miami Dolphins took him in the second round in 1995. Green spent the vast majority of his career in the CFL in Saskatchewan, but later finished it in Winnipeg and Toronto, dressing for 141 games and winning the league's most outstanding offensive lineman award in 2003. JC, can you think of a better name than Green for a guy who spent almost his entire career in Regina? I can't. I'm sure there was some great signs in the in Ryder Nation 
playing on that pun. I always had a tremendous appreciation for Andrew Green as an offensive lineman, uber talented, and also played until he was 39, Hodge. Can you imagine playing at 39 in a position as physical as the offensive line? That's some wear and tear you've got to deal with. But Andrew Green was the type of player that it didn't seem to matter for. Yeah, I'm not I'm not close to 39 yet, and I already can't imagine getting out of bed pain free and, and, and much less playing along the offensive line of a professional football team. The other thing I'll say really quick is Ryder Varga, linebacker out of Regina, who was in this year's draft, did not end up getting picked by the Riders, but a lot of people connected his first name with, of course, the team of his home city. I'm I'm holding up for a prospect named Ryder Green. How amazing would that be? First name Ryder, last name Green. Get taken by the Riders, Ryder Green and Ryder Green. I'm waiting to make that pun. I cannot wait. Now it's time for the three-minute drill. Here we go. Dave Dickinson believes Calgary has as good a quarterback's room as any team in the CFL. Do you agree? It's hard to find one that you can point to and say that's better. I mean, you've got Bo Levi Mitchell, who when healthy is arguably the best quarterback in the league and then Jake Meyer I believe has proven to be a potential you know star down the line a guy who can become a starter and be very capable there so I love what they've got going on in Calgary the NFL has launched NFL Flag Canada a program expected to have 250 different NFL flag leagues operating in Canada with more than 100,000 youth participants. Doesn't that sound like the type of program the CFL should be operating? Absolutely. This is exactly the type of outreach and youth engagement the CFL needs to be doing. Saskatchewan Rough Riders head coach Craig Dickinson said he feels Edmonton and Calgary had an advantage by starting training camp without a player strike as the other seven teams did. Do you think that's fair? I do think it's fair. Now we'll see if that advantage holds going forward based on the current <laughs> labor situation. But there will be an advantage for the two Alberta teams early in the season. I think by a week, about week three, we should see that go away. The Elks unveiled new uniforms this past week. Did you think they looked good? Yeah, I, I don't think they looked that different, to be quite honest, from the, the uniforms they had last year. But sure, I, I like last year's. I like this one. The Red Blacks have signed 2021 second-round draft pick defensive back Alonzo Adai. Will he make a big impact in Ottawa? I think he will. That safety spot is up for grabs. And quite frankly, I would not be surprised if Alonzo Adai is your undisputed starter by the end of the year in Ottawa. Now, I'm an Edmonton guy. You're a Manitoba guy. Kenny Lawler said this week that Edmonton is more scenic than Winnipeg. Do you think that's true, Hodge? Ah, oh, come on. That debating how scenic Edmonton and Winnipeg is is like you and me trying to argue who's better looking. Like, come on, Vancouver exists, right? There's there's a million places in Canada that are more scenic than Edmonton and Winnipeg. Just like there's a million guys in this country who are better looking than you and me. So this is a goofy argument, regardless. If you're gonna talk about how scenic a city is, at least at least be in Vancouver or Abbotsford. You know, so somewhere, somewhere with something to look at. Well, hey, it's. It, I say this as a proud Winnipegger. Winnipeg is not scenic, but I've also been to Edmonton. Edmonton is not scenic. Let's get real. The Ed, no, pardon me. The Baltimore Ravens signed Canadian defensive lineman Brent Urban, who started his career back in 2014 with that same team. Is that a good move? 
I think it is getting a veteran on the cheap one with a connection to the city. Brent Urban can still play. And what I love about this situation is every year when he signs his obligatory one-year contract with a different city, the one who breaks the story is his wife, Kate. I think we all want that relationship. The Blue Bombers signed second-round draft pick defensive back Tyrell Ford. Do you think he could contribute in Winnipeg as a rookie? I do. He can return. He can play corner. I don't think he has a lot of experience playing safety, but he's a really, really smart young player. I think he could learn the position very quickly, and we know he has the speed to cover in space. The BC Lions have brought back linebacker Micah Awe for his third stint with the team. Is that a good move? It's an interesting move. I think if you were under the proposed ratio that got rejected, it would be a good move. But BC is Canadian at both linebacker spots. Micah Awe, of course, is an American. Has some special teams value, but he's a starting caliber American linebacker. I don't know how they're going to use him, how he's going to see the field, how frequently he'll even play. So I'm going to withhold judgment on this one until we see how that all works out. The Elks released former Ohio State quarterback Cardell Jones, a national champion nonetheless. Is that a surprise, Hodge? I'm not particularly surprised with the depth that Edmonton has at that position, including the the selection of Trey Ford in the first round of this year's draft. I was not surprised that Jones did not stick in Edmonton. Bud Grant told the Minnesota Star Tribune that the NFL should adopt some of the CFL's return rules and that the NFL often wants to avoid admitting that Canadian football has some better ideas of how to run things. Is that fair? I think it is fair. The NFL has taken many a rule from the CFL over the years and given credit for absolutely none of them. I think it would behoove the league down south to have Canadian return rules. I don't think it ever happens. But, you know, when there's a, a kick return in the NFL game, it's time to head for a bathroom break. Winnipeg signed former first-round pick Liam Dobson after his USFL opportunity fell through. What kind of impact could he have in Winnipeg in year one? I think he could have a huge impact. And I'm not just saying that because he's 340 pounds. I'm saying that because with Drew Desjardins in the NFL, I think Liam Dobson has a very legit chance to start at guard. He just has to beat out former first-round pick Jeff Gray. The Stampeders indefinitely suspended receiver Brendan Langley after he was charged with simple assault in New Jersey. Is that the right decision? It is the right decision. Now, we don't have all the facts here. We have the video, which you know starts at a certain point. We don't know what happened before that. It certainly appears like there was some undue escalation on Langley's part here in this altercation at a New Jersey airport. Um, it's the right decision for the Stampeders to put him on the suspension suspended list until this is all sorted out the blue bombers released former all-star receiver jalen saunders on wednesday morning is that a surprise hodge Uh, it is and it isn't jalen saunders was absolutely fantastic back in 2017 2018 with the hamilton tiger cats but between an acl a car accident and the covid pandemic he hadn't played a long long time and obviously winnipeg prefers some younger receivers they already have in-house we thank you as always for listening to the three down nation podcast we are hopeful that next week's show on wednesday will be about football and not about labor disputes for all the latest stay tuned to three we'll see you next time